and welcome to North 100, a Canadian Highlander podcast. I'm Serge. Joining me today, I have a chair. Hello. And a wheeler. Spaghetti and meatballs. Both in the same podcast? Wow. Mm. Reminder that North 100 is brought to you by you with your support over at the Patreon over at patreon.com slash loading ready run. Let's start the show the way we start every show with the best card that you're not playing and up to date, Jer. Jer, what's your spicy secret tech? Got a got a sweet new one. Uh, Wildborn Preserver. One and a green for a 2-2 elf archer. It has flash and reach and has a triggered ability that says whenever another non-human creature you enters the battlefield under your control you may pay x when you do put x plus one plus one counters on wildborn preserver this card has just impressed the heck out of me every time i've played it it has flash and it's cheap so it's very easy to get into play it has the potential to just become the largest thing on the board sort of at your leisure it has the really tricky trigger wording where it's a it's a may trigger so if they want to kill your thing in response to the trigger they have to do it before you dump the mana in i think i think that's how that works so you don't get got and there's a incredible amount of non-human creatures to play alongside it and either i think it's reasonable to play in tempo decks and aggressive decks it triggers off mana dorks and mana dorks in turn can use their mana to make this larger it makes drawing mana dorks late game feel more useful because you can just play a mana dork and then put five counters on your wildborn preserver if you have a bunch of spare mana. Has a relevant creature type. <laughs> Singular. cast. You mean archer, right? Yeah, yeah, archer. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Really quickly, because I'm sure people are going to ask in the comments here, can you talk about the interaction with X and getting got there? Because I think a lot of people can have questions about that specifically. Yeah, so the way this is worded is it, it triggers and then you you may pay X when it resolves, but your opponent doesn't know what X is or if you're paying it until the trigger resolves. So hold on, I'm looking at the ruling here. Ruling here from 2019. If you pay X while its triggered ability is resolving, the reflexive triggered ability triggers and will resolve separately. This is different from effects that say if you do, in that players may take actions after you've paid mana, but before the creature gets the plus one, plus one counters. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. Uh, it's not about you're right and wrong. I'm just wondering if in that in that interaction, like what the template needs to be. Yeah, it's got the, the second reflexive trigger. The right. dream, uh, was it dream eater? The uh, guilds of Ravnica, sort of like two triggers, but it's all technically one. Yeah, it's... I, I always think of it as the the frenzied goblin trigger where they they target the mm. thing with frenzied goblin and then you never you never know if they're paying red or not until on resolution yeah exactly I thought I thought this worked like that because it's sort of the same but the second they stuff the second oh if you make, if you do or whatever yeah okay I didn't I didn't want to start the episode with a, a gotcha but just like like hold on a second let's let's dive into this no no that's that's good make make sure we're shipping the right info here. It's appropriate for the type of card, though. Reminder that Thalia was was eaten by the Gitrog monster, right? Yes. True facts, 100% accurate podcast. Thalia eaten by the Gitrog. I don't know why that's being brought up here. I mean, yeah, you're speaking the truth. This card does just <laughs> kill people. Like, it does, like, if you forget about this card in the slightest, it will kill you. Lots of people forget it has reach because it's just a thing with swords on a fox. 
There's a very sneaky quiver. <laughs> they attack into it with their their Delver, and you're like, yeah, I guess I'll trade. All right, let's introduce today's theme. We haven't done one of these in a while. Welcome to the Summer 2020 North 100 Q&A. We reached out on Twitter and asked, hey, you got any burning questions in your pocket about the format or specific decks in the format or interactions? Turns out you have a lot of questions. I My Twitter has kind of been unusable for the past couple days. So first off, thank you everyone who responded. There is way too many of you to respond to everybody. But we did our best to try and pick a range of questions that a lot of people were asking sort of similar things about. So we're going to start a question from Forever Alone oh, asks, so good. I'm very much an aggro and mid-range player. But I've always wanted to be able to play and build artifact, synergy, and combo decks, for example, eggs and other academy strategies. But I always end up with way too big a list, and I don't know what cards to cut down. So this is a question that asks about archetypes in the format and brewing and go. I, I think when you're unfam like extremely unfamiliar with an archetype and stepping outside of your comfort zone, the best starting place is just to find a list ideally from somebody you you trust and just play their exact list for like a reasonable amount of time before you make changes to it if you can and you have specific questions ask ask that person or ask in the discord or on the facebook page or whatever and then start making changes from there but i actually don't recommend just like brewing from scratch not to say you can't do it, but for the best results, probably probably best to just like crib a list from from somebody who's done it before as opposed to like trying to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. There's a I guess this is kind of like extendable across multiple kind of games, but magic is definitely one of those games. And I want to clarify when I say this, this isn't tooting any of our horns about our capabilities. But like when you are, if you are just like copying a build too, like I do think it is absolutely correct that if you, if you're going into uncharted territory, you just take a list and use it uh, and work your way from there. But also just like recognize that if you're copying certain lists card for card, that they might be built by somebody that has been playing this list for years and has a f level of familiarity that they may cut certain kind of cards that will end up making it a bit easier like a smoother experience if that makes sense like eggs was a deck that is mentioned in here and for my eggs lists personally and like the paradox engine lists i hate win conditions <laughs> like you don't need win conditions uh -huh. I think that's just kind of a general people focus on like, well, how does this deck win? It's like, what do you mean? Like you win by playing this deck properly. Like that sounds weird to say, but like winning is a foregone conclusion, or at least like you will get to this point where you can kill them. But that's not going to be great for everybody because people new to this deck might not be like, oh, of course, I needed to loot Codex Shredder with this card and this card in my graveyard with this on the stack. How could I have ever forgotten yeah, that? Just, just loop it, right? forehead. <laughs> yeah, don't don't feel like a like an idiot if you have to put like Aetherflux Reservoir in your deck or like uh, Gear Per Aether Grid or whatever it may be. Like 
those cards are good. They get the job done. And for specific situations, they're actually quite useful. I, I think uh, a, a common theme we're having here is it's very hard to know what to add or what to cut if you don't have experience. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the context of playing, if not only playing the deck, but playing against the deck. Because if you're just trying, and this is what we do in the set review sometimes, and we've definitely been proven to be wrong, is we're evaluating a card in a vacuum. Right. Or like, I think it'll work like this, but until you actually get your hands on the deck and start putting in some repetitions with it and seeing how it actually functions in play, it's really hard to know what you need more of or, or what's able to be cut without impacting the overall win con of the deck. So, I mean, it doesn't, the only way to get experience is by playing, right? Playing with and playing against. And some of these cards, you might have to start out with them and kind of treat them like they're you know not to use something that sounds belittling but like they're trade like they could be like training wheels right there's nothing wrong with it your reservoir killing them isn't going to give you less match points than your stupid codex shredder loop so don't feel bad about it just use it to you know get your reps and get some experience and then you can start branching out one well, and on that note too it can sort of go the other way in that certain deck builders might have certain tendencies which don't match your own like whenever mm. i I've taken a bunch of Ben's list, and usually the first thing I do is add two lands, yeah, add yeah. two five drops. <laughs> You're like, and, ah, too greedy, too greedy. All right. And let's... then figure out what four cards to cut from there. So That's really funny. You know, I enjoy that. Just, Anything else to add on this question? Yeah. No, uh, just, uh, just reiterating that, like, when going into uncharted territory, just, like, don't reinvent the wheel. And before, if you're going to ask the person whose list you, you garnered, uh, jam some first like come to them with like i haven't been that impressed with this card why did you include it or like oh i keep losing to aggro right hmm. yeah don't just like crib their list and then like not play a game and start firing all the questions because lots of times your questions might get answered or evolve by just playing matches nice all right cast from exile asks what's the most narrow card you've gotten someone with in a match. And I I have an answer for this just to start with, and I'll give you two some time to think about it. I think this is actually Wheeler's fault. Hmm. Uh, back years ago in, in YJ, we used to do these ridiculous like bounties where it would be like, all right, for all of March, it's March of the Masticore. And if you want to enter the contest, you can play whatever list you want, but you have to have at least X Masticores in your deck or something like that. Yeah. And there's really quite something when you're playing a, a, in like a competitive event with a pretty competitive list and all of a sudden out comes your Molten Tail Masticore and they're like, where did this come from? You're like, ha ha, got him. That's so clean. That's so clean. Sorry. March comes in like a Masticore. Like that's welcome. holy smokes. Yeah. Continue. But I think the I think the narrowest card I've ever gotten, like the the real question for this, for a while when I was playing, I was on a real pox train for a while. I was playing green black pox and Abzan pox, and there was a lot of blue in our, our meta. I started playing choke. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, choke is a really neat card. It's a three mana green enchantment for two green. Neat? Excuse you? That says Islands. Yeah, classic cool card, dude. <laughs> like, it's symmetrical. What? Islands don't untap during their controller's untap step. Now, this is risky. This is a very risky card because what if your opponent doesn't play blue or doesn't mm -hmm. play islands? 
And, you know, I was playing Bizarre Baghdad. You can just loot it away. You know, it's not the only downside. But the interaction I got that was amazing was blue players can choose not to tap their island. They can just, like, play it and wait. But I had a Rishad in port. And so I could port their islands with a choke and they couldn't untap. And I was like, oh, this is the most narrow Gotham I've ever been in. And it felt so good. In Highlander, it's so much... It's it's a lot worse than it is in Legacy and Modern because it's not like decks are jamming like four X Tundra or four X Hallowed Fountain. They're like one Tundra, one Hallowed Fountain, one Sea Chrome <laughs> Coast, one Glacial Fortress, one Mystic Gate, one Nimbus Maze. It's like you're not even locking them off all their mana. You you need to high roll to get the right matchup, and you need to high roll and hope that their mana is good. Like hey, they said narrow interaction. This is this is minuscule. The Venn oh, diagram. Oh no, no, that's what I'm games. saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like narrow, but it's like self sabotage. <laughs> uh, but I got that one person so good. Hell yeah! I have I have two good stories, so I'm gonna double down. They're both pretty short though, and and I think they've both been told on the podcast, so I won't go too in depth. But I was playing against. Uh, Famous Highlander villain, Liam Coughlin. He was on High Tide. <laughs> I was on Big Red. I, the whole, this is when he was like reasonably new to Highlander. And the whole time we were playing, I was telling him how unwinnable this matchup is. And then in game three of our Big Red versus High Tide match, I had some pressure on board. So he had to go for it. I had one red untapped. He high tides and I pyroblast it because I had, foolishly decided to put pyroblast into my Why big was red pyroblast deck. in your big red deck yeah i don't have a good answer but i wanted to get him <laughs> and then another one time i was playing green white aggro in the 2-0 bracket and my opponent vendillion clicked me on my draw step took umazawa's gta leaving an elspeth knight errant in my hand off the clique, I draw seed time, attack them, they no block. Post combat, I seed time, then I get to untap Elspeth and kill them. So real quick, what's seed time? It's one in a green. I think it's an interrupt, but it's an instant. You can only play it during your turn. It says take an extra turn after this one if an opponent cast a blue spell this turn. <laughs> so there's two <laughs> two things need to happen before you can even cast this card. Well, no, one thing needs to happen before you can cast it. It needs to be your turn. And then for it to do anything, your opponent needs to have cast a blue spell on the same turn. <laughs> but then it's instant speed time lock. So we're just telling stories about hosing blue decks. All right, so I hosed blue once. You hosed blues twice. Wheeler, can we make it a trilogy here? Oh, yeah, we can. This is one that's kind of been said before, too. And... Technically, it's my opponent's extremely narrow card that ended up blowing up in their face, but I got to use it. <laughs> All right. They didn't get to use it. It was, they were playing like a four color blue base deck that looked to loop, uh, depending on what the points list looked like at the time, either Time Walk or Ancestral Recall. And they were going very heavy into this. I believe this in particular build was one with Recall. But like I'm talking like, you know, not just beyond the Snapcaster Mages and the regrowth and everything. They were playing Rift Sweeper so that if they say flashback their Ancestral Recall, 
they could then Rift Sweeper it back into their deck to have another go at it. So what is Rift Sweeper really quick if people aren't Oh, I'm glad you asked, Surge. (laughs) Uh, Rift Sweeper is one in a green for an elf maybe an elf uh, elf druid or elf shaman though that's not relevant but it's a 2-2 that says when it enters the battlefield you choose target face up exiled card its owner shuffles it into their library so they had this rift sweeper in their deck so that they could like extra greedily rebuy the ancestral recall for the third time because <laughs> like right. it's not the All first right. or the second one right and so i was playing a uh, garbage platter, I think. One of the garbage combo decks, like the all-in combo decks. And I had tainted pact. I had cast a tainting tainted pact on my kill turn. Like I had set up all these shenanigans, and I cast a tainted pact on my kill turn. Uh, I may have done some other stuff, and I was like, "Great! All I need to do is hit this one specific spell without exiling literally every win con in my deck." But what are the chances this happens? And so I tainted Pact, and I get down to like 10 cards or 12 cards in my deck before I hit this card, and I've exiled literally every win con that I have. But thankfully, I hit an Animate Dead, and I had made my opponent discard uh, a card from their hand earlier, or they had selected to discard. And of course, they discarded Rift Sweeper, an infinitely narrow (laughs) card that nobody should really play in this format. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I got to reanimate their Rift Sweeper to shuffle in one of the, like, the Emrakul that had been exiled from my deck due to Tainted Pact, <laughs> and then tutor it up and kill them with it. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's, it's pretty all right. All right. Well, I think this goes nicely into our next question here by Alibums. How do you get around an analysis paralysis of tutors when you're new to a deck so for example i'm sure a lot of magic players have been there before especially if you're playing canadian highlander or commander or something like that you cast a tutor you flip over this 100 card deck and your your demonic tutor is like pick any card and you're like can you please narrow it down you're giving me way too many choices here do i get a kill spell? Do I get uh, fast mana? Do I go for my win con? Oh god, I don't have enough mana to go for my win con. If I get a ramp spell, but I don't get my win con, what do I get after that? Do I go for a mid-range threat I can get now? Do I plan for the future? What do I do? That's me every time I tutor. That's pretty <laughs> heavy, dude. <laughs> it's not, It's really not that stressful. Uh, uh, I mean, no. for you in this situation. Oh, okay. I'm not saying okay. that to belittle the other people. I'm saying that Surge... I'm, I'm alone here? Well, no, I'm just saying that you played this for a hot minute and like to, <laughs> for your story of like flipping a table when you cast Sylvan Scrying for the 1,000th time <laughs> in your life. But I think in general, to, to avoid specifically this, and it's not the best, like you should alter this strategy once you get more experience with the deck. But just like have a short list in your head for each of the like types of tutors you have in your deck. Like if you're a deck that plays a bunch of different types of tutors, like say you're playing like hoofs, you have land tutors and creature tutors have certain things in mind. Like if you're casting a creature tutor, do you need mana or are you trying to win? And then have like a list of things like mana creatures like you can get Rafelos, Elvish Arch to it are usually the the mana things you want. Primeval Titan, Crater Hope, Behemoth are usually the win the game things you want. When you're getting land tutors, do you have multiple land tutors? If so, is it a matchup where you want to get depth stage or are you getting cradle? 
God, we could do an episode just on this, couldn't we? Yeah, we we, we probably could. Episode 103, let's talk about tutors, because it's like, oh, I have some things I could add to this that's conversation. Actually a pretty, yeah, that's, that's kind of shocking that that hasn't been done. <laughs> All right, well, look forward to next episode, I guess. <laughs> just as a like quick TLDR, look over your deck list and try to try to like separate like compartmentalize your types oh, of tutors and create short lists for each type flow charts baby learn Ooh. some like internalize some flow charts like yeah. set up rules for each thing and then think like okay i'm at point a that what does that open up for me and then label all the things that that opens up and you're like okay what if i go down this path and what opens up like, uh, again, this is probably best safe for an actual full episode of the yeah. podcast. There's so many follow-up questions, right? Yeah, but like, I mean, basically familiarize yourself with your deck and why your deck is playing certain cards, right? The cards aren't in there just because they look nice. I mean, sometimes they are. Who am yeah. I kidding? Yeah, let's be real. <laughs> Often for like a combo deck or something with very specific tutors, you know, they're going to be in there for a reason. So find out what that reason is and then stick it to memory. I find it funny when people would lend goblins as an introductory deck to be like, here, you should just play this. And like, what do I what do I find with Goblin Recruiter? Here's like this is like <laughs> a good example of another like it's not the best answer, but it'll probably help start people out. Where it's just like, how do I deal with tutors? It's like find the best card in your deck, right? Like when in doubt, like throw nuance out the window and find yourself like a, a goblin ringleader that flips over four really cool and fast goblins. Like you don't have to be like Oh, uh, yes. And this sets up my my infinite loop in which nobody can escape. Like sometimes just like, ah, find the big thing. The thing about Goblin Recruiter is like probably the the like 17th most optimal pile still probably wins most of the games yeah. if, you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're doing it from a reasonable position. So there's there's not a lot of difference between the first and 35th best piles. I love it. All right. Well, look forward to an episode where we just deep dive into tutors in the future because I have so much I want to talk about on this topic, and I'm sure you two do as well. I could chat. All right, let's move on to a question here from Blake. Are there any traditional sideboard cards, for example, Rest in Peace, Stony Silence, etc., that are worth playing in Canadian Highlander? And of course, the significance of this question is we don't have a sideboard. So it's like in Legacy and Modern cards that wouldn't see main play but are extremely powerful in hosing a certain strategy, when are they worth putting into your main 100? In general, <laughs> don't. The long answer is play the ones that are attached to efficient bodies. Yeah, find find yourself a hate piece that can do double duty. like, <laughs> Or that isn't just like an ultimate like hard lock sort of like... Don't play. I mean, we we partially chewed search out for this with the narrow hey. thing, but like, don't play cards like you're a Yu-Gi-Oh villain. <laughs> like, you don't have to be like, I've got you now with my stony silence. Your artifact lands are rendered useless. How do you know all of my powerful magic stories? Oh my god! And this bane of progress will be your demise because no, that, if that how did you know I was thinking about bane of progress. 
Because I'm in your head, Serge. You and are? when, because that situ- every time that situation happens, they get got because someone goes full like Yugi Moto and it's like, I play uh, face reward, bringing all these back. And they're like, no, that's impossible. Like it's <laughs> like setting up that kind of stuff. They super narrow, like these are cards right like there's yeah. a cost to playing it's like you so play you play no rod stony silence and like some other that happened yeah questionable <laughs> card and then 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 you play urza and attack past all their enchantments it's like it's like you lose a you'll probably lose a game over it but that's not a single game does isn't going to decide the whole match right so sure you can have a stony silence on turn two greg uh, against me uh, when I'm playing like Academy or Lantern Control. I forget what it was. But then like games two and three, like, yeah, you might have it. But even then, like, chances are I know you now have it. When Kentaro null rotted you, it was so sweet. Okay, that was that was different. That was just brutal. <laughs> like, we all have stories about mm. getting absolutely blown out by these narrow yeah. cards or vice versa. And I think I think that's the sort of weird confirmation bias that people have. Is yeah you remember like the one time you just absolutely got someone and not the 20 times it just sat in your hand and did nothing it seems kind of cold but anytime someone makes that kind of comment like don't do this because you'll sound like a real jerk but if you know them well enough it's like okay well did you win that tournament though or like ah. did you win that match like how did that like what about the is that was that the only time you had it and then it's just like, oh, no, I, I had it in my hand of all these other times and I uh, lost to uh, <coughs> uh, Goblin Guide or like <laughs> I lost my opponent literally just did anything. Yeah, like lost a Bone Crusher Giant beatdown. Like <laughs> I had Stony Silence. They just shocked me on turn two, played a four three on turn three and I died. There are some like traditional sideboard cards like that will pop up but just because they offer kind of like similar flexibility as they may in other formats, like again, like ensnaring bridge or chain of vapor, like usually the decks that are playing them will also have ways to either get around the drawback that may be associated with it, or in fact, utilize it to their advantage where you like get to chain of vapor, your own trinket mage to recast it. Or to like Storm will use like Chain of Vapor to put lands like they'll be bouncing free stuff to sacrifice lands to put them in their graveyard so that they get Cabal Ritual up to Threshold. Yeah. And that goes to say that like there's sort of two categories of traditional sideboard cards. The like super narrow haymakers that when you play them, they win. And like the kind of more versatile like answer everything type of cards and the more versatile answer everything cards are generally fine to play rest in peace well i don't know how many people are playing helm combo anymore but like rest in peace saw some play for a while i like the example of ensnaring bridge which is a a classic sideboard card but a lot of uh, some of the academy lists will Mm -hmm. play it as a way it's like i'm going to dump my hand and hide behind this for a bit and like it works in in those situations but obviously you have a downside because you're like cool i played out my ensnaring bridge which is good for the aggro matchups but i'm against combo and it does nothing and then similarly storm will play defense grid or something like that as a way to fight against control decks and oftentimes we label those cards meta picks yeah some of those cards though like have kind of fallen victim to 
well, 2020 and 2019 magic where like, you know, it's a better ensnaring bridge. Psy Master Thopterist yeah. or Oko. <laughs> yeah. Or Urza Lord High Artificer. They're both like all those cards are great at being like, no, sorry, you can't attack. You oh, play your ensnaring bridge against Bantblade and then they play Oko and now you have an elk. <laughs> After you dumped your hand and it's like. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's interesting to think about how, you know, the relative power of the format is starting to phase even some of those out. Mm. All right, let's move on to our next question. Waniki asks, what decks don't use any power nine? I feel if I don't have any of the power nine, my deck will be suboptimal. This is a great question. Yeah, there are definitely decks that, that don't play power nine. The, the example I always give is Reanimator, which is actually a pretty reasonable entry-level deck into the format too. You can play it as two-color. The duels aren't like the most important thing to the deck. Budget reanimator is perfectly, perfectly reasonable 99% of the time. And yeah, you typically just spend all your points on tutors. I think this comes down to sort of, there's three types of power nine. There's the Moxin, which incorporate five of them. There's Ancestral and Recall. Oh, yes. Uh, Both Ancestral and Recall. Sorry, there's Ancestral and Time Walk. And then there's Time Twister. What's the, oh, and the Black Lotus. Oh, Lotus, right. Vault isn't even one of the, <laughs> the Power Nine. Sorry, there's... The least famous of all the Power Nine, Black Lotus. Sorry, I think of Black Lotus in its own category. So so there's six of them are fast mana. Ancestral and Time Walk are pointed super aggressively. So you need to be pretty specific in a blue deck if you're doing that. And I think those decks often describe themselves. Really, only Academy plays the draw sevens. But I mean, who really considers Time Twister to be one of the Power Nine? Hey, no. Time Vault is its own archetype. You're not really splashing for that. So I feel a lot of these conversations come into the inclusion of Moxon. Are you right in sort of thinking about that? Like, am I a deck that adds a Mox or am I a deck that doesn't add a Mox? Because the other decks are, they're almost build around, which is kind of weird. I, I think a lot of decks, like a lot of mid-range and aggro decks, sort of don't really need tutors or the other, like, just like individually very powerful cards on the points list. So they're sort of like, well, I'm not going to use any of these other things. Might as well just jam moxes. But like, realistically, you can certainly play and be successful with those decks without moxes. It, as you say, it is suboptimal. But the the amount at which your deck changes isn't actually like massive. Like you lose some high roll potential, but you also like your deck becomes more consistent. Like drawing a mox on turn eight isn't isn't great. Yeah, it's. I think I think moxen kind of end up being this like easy kind of include idea because it's i mean most of the points list is accommodating for combo and just outlandish design mistakes which the moxen are but they're not like they don't have that much text on them sort of thing and so that's kind of just like oh i'm in these colors and there are corresponding moxen i should play those but it's not super necessary and like some i hate playing with power like some of my favorite decks, especially right now, are not ones with any like they play zero power. Like Dredge is my favorite my favorite deck right now, to be honest. And that deck has it has a bizarre Baghdad, but honestly, it's you don't need that card. And when you get rid of that card, you're just playing like a bunch of weirdo draft trash or stuff that is being banned from other formats and is like <laughs> pennies. 
So yeah, I, I really don't think you need Power 9 to, I mean, of course I don't think you need Power 9 to play the format, but I actually don't even think you need Power 9 to be like, to aim for uh, top, top tier, tier decks, yeah. or yeah. even like, if you want to kind of do some of the weirder things available in the format. Yeah, lands, for example, doesn't need a lot of Power 9. You have Fast Bond, probably better off putting your points in Tutors. Yeah, Demonic Tutors, reasonable. Yeah. Like all the, all these really powerful cards are you know that will use up a bulk of your points and you'll feel good using them they're not that difficult i mean again we're saying this comparatively to well black lotus is i think what you called it surge <laughs> never heard of it demonic tutor strip even mana crypt right having received a, a couple a recent reprint and another mm. one upcoming so like yeah yeah you don't need power all right. Wolfgang Cloud asks, you've all been the format for a while and the power level of the format has increased, which is something we've kind of nodded to a couple of times in the conversation so far. What card do you miss playing in decks the most? I miss Wormcoil Engine. I'm just going to go right out there and say it. I miss six drops. Do you miss six drops? I miss no. six drops. I always hated <laughs> playing six drops. Did you? Yeah. Even back in the day, it felt bad and like... Like even even before everyone was like super lean and the decks got way better and the cards got way better. Like I think I was like still like 60 40 against my opponent jamming Wormcoil Engine. And like hmm. every time they jammed it, they're like, yeah. And even when I didn't have like the swords or the path, <laughs> like the amount of times I was just able to like slog through it. Non-zero. I think that if you really want to play Wormcoil too. You can, you just have to, you know, you play it in one of these massive density decks and you don't hold, put it on like a pedestal of like, behold, my greatest threat yet. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's like, unbeatable. You just, yeah, you just got to treat it like it's another, I don't know, dumbass card in your curve of like, ah, I got to six mana very quickly. Here you go. I miss playing Selvala. Selvala? What's that? I love that card. Explorer Returned. Green, white, one for, I think, an elf elf yeah. scout. Yep. 2-4 yeah. legendary creature. Has the classic parlay tap mana ability that draws you cards and gains you life. What were you playing this in? Midrange, mostly. I just love this card. Just does everything. Its tap ability is parlay, so each player reveals the top card of their library. For each non-land card revealed this way, add green to your mana pool, and you gain one life then each player draws a card. So it's instant speed card draw. It's like mana speed card draw. So it's even better. Life gain, ramp, has a good body. Mana speed card. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's a I mana ability. Yeah, I was processing. My brain was just like, what? What is he mana saying? Mana speed card draw? Yeah. That's a good old silver. Yeah, it's a mana ability, therefore doesn't use the stack and can't be responded to. <laughs> This is a weird thing where you'd have to like top before you activate it because you can't top in response. I miss Artificer's Intuition. I think maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. I I was going to say some random creature from like Sorensen, like Tempo, like Blue yeah, Green I miss Tempo. <laughs> but I still play those cards. You still play Lore Scale Codal? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Thank you. I don't play Lore Scale Codal, but like it is in that category of like cards that 
I'm like, surely I can at least get away with some of these and cards like, that no, like probably eight not. to ten years ago we were like, oh, please don't have the codal. <laughs> and now you're just like, you're still playing that. Mm-hmm. Oh, a uh, Wake Thrasher. Oh, wake God. Thrasher. Thought I miss Wake Thrasher. Classic Wake Thrasher. Wake Thrasher. Three mana, one one Merfolk Soldier for two and a blue. Whenever a permanent you control becomes untapped, it gets plus one plus one. You used to play it with that stupid stone Basalt that could untap. Basalt Monolith. Yeah, Basalt Wake Thrasher. Monolith. People oh, actually yeah. played Basalt Monolith in tempo decks without tutors just to rando try to get people with Wake Thrasher. Hey, some of, some of us had some self-respect and we played <laughs> Wake Thrasher in our academy decks. <laughs> like that's... Yeah. But, but Artificer's Intuition is the like... Like this card will never see play anywhere anymore. <laughs> like except for maybe like some weirdo commander deck. What does it, what does it do? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It's one in a blue. It's an enchantment. Pay a blue. Discard an artifact card from your hand. Search your library for an artifact with CMC one or less. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So it's kind of like a survival of the fittest, except you have to discard artifacts, and in turn, you find trinket mage targets. And it's just so cool. Like you can, I mean, yeah, Black Lotus and LED are pretty good cards, but like, honestly, Kodak you'd spend a Shredder. lot of time. Yeah, you'd just be like, oh, you uh, played like a slow tutor to put something on top. <laughs> Codex Strider Millet. Or like getting like a Life Spark spell bomb to animate one of your lands to kill their exposed Planeswalker. Like there's just so many cool things. And now it's just like, it's too slow. It's too expensive. And... There's just it's there's just better things and it's a bit too niche. Oh, well, now I'm sad. Thanks a I lot. I know I'm sad okay. too. All right. Well, then let's let's ask ourselves a question that will will raise our spirits here. Electrotel. Is that how I pronounce that? I always just translate in my head to my friend's uh, name. It's pronounced Shivam. Yeah. <laughs> Asks. I'm a commander player. How can I convert a commander deck to a Canadian Highlander deck? Great question. I would start by taking out the command tower. If you're a multicolor deck, you're going to run into a couple of issues if you keep that in there. I'd probably make count your points. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess the two biggest things, is your deck literally legal for the format? And are you playing any cards that are specific to commander rules that aren't going to hose you? I mean, that aside... Do all your cards do a thing. Yeah, those, those kind of sound like... Uh, no duh or like kind of just making a joke but honestly we've seen it happen so many times yeah the amount of judge calls we've got when somebody slams command tower down in highlander and then just like looks at their command zone and they're like oh or arcane signet like it's just a good thing to do after that like a lot of commander deck building people will tend to find themselves going by like these guidelines of like okay 10 acceleration spells 10 tutors or whatever always have graveyard hate always have board wipes and that's just not going to lead to like the greatest configuration of cards you're just often going to be kind of an unfocused deck even even if you are a control deck right like if you're building like a three color control deck you know you can kind of internalize like okay i want this amount this much this many wraths, this this many counter spells or whatever, but like that is just going to restrict you and kind of push you into making decisions that 
you know, that's not really how deck building works, right? Like you get full control about what you're doing. And so I think kind of doing away with any kind of set kind of like numbers or, or breakdowns that you may have from commander and then just trying to be more like focused in general, I think is, is a pretty good, pretty good, like universal starting point. Jer. And then also just cut your like eight drops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mostly what Ben said and just like first try to like it, the, the most high level answer is it depends because there's a wide variety in, in terms of commander decks, but assuming your commander yeah. deck is like a mostly focused deck, just doing what, what Ben said and making sure your deck, your deck will fu- function and cutting, trimming some of the fat. It's interesting as there are definitely some similarities in our formats, you know, in that we're both hundred card singleton. I, I imagine the question you'd have to ask yourself is, is your deck geared for one-on-one play or is your deck geared for multiplayer? Because, mm. The one thing you won't have in one-on-one that you will have in multiplayer is time. And we, we talk about cutting the high drops, but I, I think just in general, examining your curve and asking yourself, do I have early answers or a proactive strategy that can actually let me set up and give my deck a chance to do what I what it wants to do? And how reliant is your strategy on your commander? I- because you don't have your commander in hand, air quotes, mm like the like the command zone does and that is going to influence how successful your deck is going to be if you just immediately grabbed your hundred cards shuffled in your commander deliberately and went to play presuming your deck is already legal and you don't have any of the problem cards how well is it going to compete is going to be answered in that in that frame i have a really quick big brain analogy that honestly i'm kind of proud of all right all right a match of like a, a, a game or match of canlander and a game of match a commander are different like this. Commander is like chopped. There's four of you. You all kind of present your ingredients first. And you like, in the beginning, it's just a lot of preparation, right? Until you get to the payoff. Whereas Canlander is just a boxing match. <laughs> like you're just thrown in, the bell dings, and then it's not like, okay, give me a second to warm up here. Oh, I thought you were going to mm. keep going and say Canlander is Master Chef. Okay, well, okay. Canlander is like a boxing match, but you have to fight Gordon Ramsay, and he's really pissed. <laughs> and he like, just keeps insulting he, you. I'm, yeah, he's going to keep insulting you. He's calling you a donkey. Well, <laughs> no, but what I mean is that, like, it's all in good sportsmanship, and obviously, don't be a jerk during your match or after your match, or in general, honestly. But like, it's it's purely competitive, right? You set up. You're there to beat the other person. And that's it. And it's it's right as the bell dings, like a goblin guide's coming out. Yeah, yeah, immediately, right? Yeah, or like a Lanoir elf has hit the table. They went Mana Crypt Land Verge Rangers or whatever, right? Like it doesn't start when everybody's, ca- after everybody's cast their Cultivate. These are some good questions. We got some, I mean, again, thank you to the overwhelming amount of people who responded to that tweet with questions about the format. Apologies if we didn't get a chance to get to your specific question today, because there are a lot of really good questions. I can't stress this enough how hard it was to try and prune this down. We had like four other questions that we wanted to get to, and we had to look at the time and we're like, ah, we're going to probably have to cut it there. But thank you everyone for taking the time to respond. And now we're going to move 
to our closing segment, Powerful Magic. All the enthusiasm. I love it. Thank you. And up to date is me. And on the topic of looking back and on nostalgia, I, I don't have a specific story of, you know, spells flying back and forth and whatever. Instead, I want to try and share with you a feeling of what it was like to play in the format five or six years ago. It might even be further back today. The days where tempo was a lot more dominant and a lot more present and everyone was playing four spikes and stifles and even white decks were jamming mana tithe. It was everywhere. It was a back in the days of Gotham. Like, oh, you just got got all the time. Getting got with force spike, getting got with days, getting stifled and stuff like that. And I remember playing against people who'd go, you know, land pass, and then you'd play your mocks out of order instead of going land mocks and getting your mocks force spiked on turn one. Do you remember that? Mm. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, I've forks, I've force spiked a mox or two. I usually right? save it for their titans. Right? Like, uh, you you keep really greedy and you go to play a chrome mox because you kept no lands and somebody dazed you or something like that. Mm. Oh, yeah, I felt like I was walking on eggshells. My favorite was the song and dance in a tempo mirror of like somebody plays a fetch land and passes, and then somebody else they, they go and they go fetch land pass and they like look at them and you're like all of a sudden the western music starts playing like like who's gonna who's gonna crack first right because if you crack first they'd crack in response and stifle you and you wouldn't have the mana to stifle their stifle or force spike their stifle so then you'd play a second fetch land and pass and then the sweat goes back and forth again and then they'd play a fetch land and then finally you'd crack and they'd crack and you'd crack and they'd crack and somebody's shadow of doubt and everyone would cry. Like, mm. oh man, why, why, why am I feeling good about that magic? <laughs> Cause you love tempo, dude. It's your true calling. Is it? You love, you love hitting people with like a, you got to counter something and they fetch in response and then you memory lapse their spell or whatever. You love it. Let the hate flow through you, Serge. I'm thinking back to old Spencer lines when, Spencer would have like a wasteland and a fetch land. And we're talking like legacy Delver lines here where you would wasteland their land and then they'd fetch and respond. And then you'd fetch and like stifle their fetch as they tried to stifle your wasteland or, you know, like when you're specifically when both players are baiting around a stifle that both people know they have, and they also have like a force spike or a spell pierce in response. That's some powerful magic. My favorite all-time kind of like just play, just like mm-hmm. it's just such a, it just messes with them. Is if you know, like you have to know that you're against like control or like a low pressure deck and you are like a blue deck or it could be tempo, could be again control. Like you have stifle and like spell snare, spell pierce, that kind of stuff. Is that if you're on the play, I guess it could be on the draw, is that you just play a shock and take the two. And like, even if you do, like, no matter what, you just do ah. it. And like, because it just gets people just Leave like the blue eating open. them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they just eat themselves up. They're just like, oh my God, I'm going to get stifled. And then they have, they, but they also have spell pierce all the time. It gives you like four turns of making them sweat, even if you have nothing. Yeah. It's like the amount of doom saying where they like it in their mind, you are just like this player with 20 cards in your hand. <laughs> 
And like 10 of those are one mana blue spells. Like love, every single it. one. You're like, how many cards do you have in your life? Zero. It's like, I know you have the force spike though. How do you have no yeah, cards in yeah, there? Exactly. I know you have it. That's a, yeah, they call, they call a judge. Uh, I think there's a discrepancy. <laughs> My opponent says they have zero cards in hand. Physically, I don't see any cards, but I know they've got the spell pierce. I just yeah. know they've got it. <laughs> they had a, They had the spell pierce on turn one and they haven't cast it. Obviously they've <laughs> dropped a card. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Jared, do you play any mind games around counter spells? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes I'll like on a turn where I'm not gonna counter something, I'll like I'll just fake it. I'll like tap the mana or like go go to feign playing playing a card and then just be like, no, nah, that's fine. And then for the rest <laughs> of the game they'll just play around me having a counter spell. I love it. I love it. It wasn't a powerful magic story, but just like I don't know, that that feeling. I miss that feeling. That feel when you've got the stifle. Right? Or when, you, when you're playing around the stifle. That feel when stifle is in your meta. I still think the best feeling counterspell is mental misstep on the draw. <gasps> There's a time when I mental misstepped Surge's fast bond on the draw. and <gasps> The anguish <sighs> screams was surely heard around the world. That's something everybody can get behind. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that is going to be our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Serge. Joining me is Jeremy White and Ben Wheeler. Uh-huh. Reminder, this podcast is brought to you by you with the support over the Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready month, loading ready run, loading ready rum. Oh my goodness. So it goes. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.